0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon Special Edition. Yes, I guess this is 5S and an E. And the E rhymes with T, and the T stands for T-Jump. Tom, how you
1: doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. How are you doing? I've never been better in my life. Really, given all like tidal issues we just had, like imagine like the stress is just mounting for both of us. T-Jump, I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> um,
0: I've already started, <laughs> but what can I say? Um, look, I I'm very Christian of you. This is this is uh, our first time being on a show together. I've um, I have seen you on air a few times. I don't know if you've had a chance to see me, but you have talked to my former. Uh, co-host once or twice, Dale Glover. Yep. Yeah. um, I used to enjoy talking to Dale every week. Those were interesting times. Early, early days for skeptics and seekers. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question about yourself. This may be something that you say every week. It may be a question you answer every week to your your followers, and I just miss it. But um, what is your experience with Christianity before doing this show? Were you a Christian in the past? Were you raised Christian? Uh, have you never been Christian? Uh, any other religion? Tell me Tell me a little bit about Mr. Jump for all of those people in the audience
1: who may not know who you are. Mr. Jump? Is my father in the background somewhere? I'm like, what, what is Mr. Jump? Oh my God.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> Mr. T. That's, that's better.
1: Call hey. calling <laughs> Mr. Chair. That's a good one. I like the chair. Uh, yeah. So I was... Christian. I was brought up in a uh, Christian household, went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, mass three times a week, very unpleasant. Um, But I lost my faith sometime around 17 or 18. I had major depression for most of my life and prayed every day and every night for help from the all-powerful, all-loving Sky Daddy who did not do anything to help and I eventually just stopped being able to believe there was such a thing because it didn't do anything. So I just felt like I was praying to a milk carton.
0: I see. Did you try praying to a milk carton just as a, you know, a control?
1: Uh, no, I, I was not very scientifically minded back then. It was more just uh, desperation, trying to avoid or solve the depression. So I, I had not attempted to pray to the milk carton.
0: Well, for what it's worth, I believe it's milk jugs that uh, get the result. Anyway, the milk cartons, don't, don't talk to them. They're uh, they're not very powerful. Um,
1: sounds sounds like you're you're biased against the the milk cartons. I don't know. I've tried you, some you, things. Uh, <laughs> I'm
0: just I'm just gonna leave it at that.
1: to <laughs> clip that section out and make that into its own little thing.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's gonna be somebody's ringtone. Um, so I uh, I know that you have got uh, quite the audience and uh, quite the fan base. I count myself as part of the the fan base. Uh, But a lot of them may not know uh, who I am. And so, uh, uh, unintentionally plugging Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon, that's an outgrowth from Skeptics and Seekers. That's a show that I did, um, Dale Glover being a co-host, so some of your uh, viewers might uh, remember him and may have enjoyed um, your discussions with him as I did. Um, I... Am a former Christian, a former preacher. I've been a leader in three different denominations, and um, I didn't come out until I was around forty, and I'm fifty-two now. So most of my life has been in Christianity, and um, the thing that uh something that people always ask and i i can't begin to answer it appropriately it's a different answer every time but what made me come out it's it's there's no one thing it's um uh boiling frog type situation uh so you know i can try to think back to the first issue that didn't seem right but uh, it's hard to identify the straw that broke the camel's back, but I, I can tell you that prayer was a big issue, and I recall having a lot of trouble with that uh, as my faith started to really take a beating. I didn't know how to pray. Was I supposed to pray, "Thy will be done," or "My will be done"? You know, do do I pray with confidence? that the lord will answer my prayer and grant my request or, or do i pray with humility and you know whatever you want to do don't i'm sorry i don't mean to bother you <laughs> um you know what what exactly is the right posture for that and the fact is no kind of prayer that i ever tried had any type of success and even when i didn't pray for things i i couldn't i had no spiritual confirmation that my prayers were ever leaving my body and going someplace else. So at some point I stopped publicly praying because I used to pray a lot in church and people people used to ask me to pray, you know, visit a church, you know, would you like to say the opening prayer or just prayer for this? I just stopped doing it. Um, I stopped praying for people. I stopped just any any kind of prayer that wasn't private, because it just seemed like hypocrisy to me. Because I couldn't figure out how to do it, what what I was supposed to do with it. So that was one of the things uh, that uh, accelerated my my uh, trip out the door. Did you? Uh, how did how did you deal with prayer? I, I know you were like seventeen or eighteen, but what was how how did you? excuse me, Relate to prayer?
1: Well, yeah, for me, it was a cry for help. So I had major depression, suicidal major depression, real bad most of my life. And so for me, prayer was a lifeline uh, that was hope that I could overcome it. Um, This connection to this all-powerful being was perfectly loving, was something that gave me hope for the future that I would be able to get over the pain I was in. And so for me, it was a cry for help Uh, that was never answered.
0: Well, we could say that uh, part of the prayer was answered because you're still here. So thank God. (laughs) Don't hit me. (laughs) Um, So we have a topic of conversation. I know that you're used to talking to Christians. Uh, I will put my Christian hat on half my head today, and I will wear my atheist hat on the other head looking kind of like a dunce hat when you put it all together. But um, I want to talk to you about talking to people because both you and I are talkers. You might even say we're professional talkers. And we talk to people who disagree with us a lot. Uh, I talk to people who disagree with me over on Skeptics and Seekers, over on Red Letters, with which I'll plug later. Uh, I talk to people who Mostly agree to me, but you know I still get a lot of pushback uh, there. Uh, I've had debates. I've been on Unbelievable uh, twice. Are you familiar with un- uh, the Unbelievable
1: uh radio yeah, show? Yes, so I'm jealous. I want to be on there very badly. Just, we'll debate just, some professors on there. Give just, me William just, Lane Craig versus me. I'm just unbelievable, debate
0: Justin. Just write him. You. Yeah, I have. I've emailed him like six times. Oh, that, I, that this is hard to believe uh, because I'm a nobody. And I've been on twice. So it it may have helped that uh, when Justin wrote his book a few years ago, um, I uh, uh, kind of cobbled together a team uh, along with a friend of mine, and we wrote a response book. And uh, and, uh got us on the show. I'm not entirely sure what got me on the show the second time, but I had a chance to debate the resurrection with Jonathan McClatchy. Uh, and that was... That was um, nice.
1: I, did, I debated him twice; both were very entertaining. I I didn't enjoy my time with Jonathan as much as I oh. had hoped. <laughs> I I took great pleasure in my second debate and just eviscerating him in every way I could. I would I would like
0: to debate him again, um, because the, yes, I so let's talk about that. <laughs> uh in fact, what you just said there is a, a good jumping off point into the topic. Um yeah, there are times when I get on the mic with uh someone and I just want to rip them a new one. And um I'll 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 give you my greatest shame on air. It was uh when I had a interview slash Conversation slash debate with Michael Brown. Have you uh, had a chance to talk to Michael Brown?
1: Yeah, I had him on my show. We did. Uh, we had a really nice conversation uh, for for an hour or something. I despise Michael Brown. I I mean
0: I wish I could say that past tense, but I still despise Michael <laughs> Brown. <laughs> I I I I shouldn't have accepted the interview. Uh, I shouldn't have done it because I knew how I felt and I wasn't entirely sure that I would keep my, be able to keep my emotions in check and um, beat back some of my worst conversational impulses. And uh, at the time, this was, I want to say it was around 2000, um, sometime in the Trump administration and uh, michael brown had switched from being anti trump to hard pro trump and uh, there were he had put out some videos about um uh about G- uh, jews and jesus uh he's, he's a messianic uh jewish kind of person so th- there were some things that were very hot button at the time. And he wanted to he wanted to be on our show. He um Dale knew him and uh, he wanted to be on the show. He wanted a chance to kind of um give his side of things, uh, because his reputation had maybe taken a little bit of a beating uh at that time. And I wanted to be fair and uh let him give his side and have some conversation, maybe a little bit of pushback, but just you know, get to, get to know the man. And so I tried to push back all of, all of the things that I knew that I didn't like and just get into a conversation. And it didn't take long before it was very apparent that I didn't like him and he didn't like me. And we just growled at each other for an hour. And, um, I, I hope that no one ever finds that show. I don't take anything down. It's over there. Skeptics skeptic, is if someone wants to find it. Not my finest hour. Not his finest hour. Um, and so I learned some things about myself and uh, about my ability to talk to Christians. I, I thought that I was pretty good at it. I had, I had some pretty high-profile interviews by that time. And... uh for the most part, they were really good. They were great, and I, um, I was, I was feeling good about myself. You know, very professional. I had, you know, brought myself to this point from nothing. Look at me, and then it just went to hell. Uh, and I realized, oh no, I'm not a particularly good person at all, and I'm not a particularly good conversationalist, and I need to learn how to talk to Christians. And uh, I realized, of course, uh, Christians also need to learn how to talk to people like me um it's it's very easy for both sides to kind of trigger the other side and before you know it you it, people are talking past each other and the debate really heats up and the audience really gets into it because you know they they get in there for that three ring circus uh, and you know maybe 5% of them actually want to hear the discussion but it's like um, it's like watching a car race you really want to see the wreck. Um, no one watches hockey to see the puck go to the neck. They watch hockey to see the fight. <laughs> that's why they go. I've got a feeling that that's a lot of the audience for uh, Christian atheist debates. And so um, I realized I, I feed into that impulse. And um when you know the Christian is there and they're feeding into their audience, I'm feeding into my audience, and then we just have this brawl, nothing productive is getting done, and no one covers themselves in glory, and no ideas, no good ideas are ever truly advanced on either side. And so I just wanted to dissect this art of conversation between Christians and atheists, and see if we can identify some of the places where that conversation goes desperately wrong. Now, I, I'm I'm coming in with confession. All right, I'm the worst. I'm the worst of offenders. Uh, do Do you feel like you have anything to confess, uh, Tom, or, or, or are you just going to revel in my confession? <laughs>
1: Well, so my interpretation is slightly different. Like I think those kinds of conversations can be very productive, Mm -hmm. uh, not only for the audience, but for the speakers as well. I think it's up to the individual to find value in those things, but there is value to be found in those kinds of conversations. Like you mentioned that uh, people revel in in the car wreck and the train wreck. My most viewed videos are all screaming matches. Uh, when you say you're the worst offender, I highly doubt if we were to compare your interview with Michael Brown and mine with Godless Bro, that yours would be considered the, the greater offender in this case. Um, or mine with Jack Ainstrikes, where I'm literally just shouting everyone to shut up and using many curse words. Uh, <laughs> except. So for me, I don't, I don't see those as bad. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see those as unproductive. I see those as very productive. I think that the experience of going through conversations in those kinds of heated situations and trying to learn how to engage and still be productive while being in those conversations is a very valuable skill set that I am happy to have. So I'm I enjoy those kinds of experiences or take value from them at least. And so I don't see them as a problem. I don't see them as something to confess uh, having done. I see them as something I'm more proud of in a way or Mm. something I'm glad to have done. And so I don't see those as an issue. I see those as a learning opportunity.
0: Okay. Well, I certainly used to view it more like that. I mean, I uh, I call conversation a blood sport. Uh it's it's an arena. It's it's the pit. Uh grab your mace. Let's let's do this. I mean, let's shake hands and then kill each other. Um and then have a drink afterwards. I you know, this is this is part of my personality. I I played sports. I was an athlete uh growing up and uh I'm a rough and tumble kind of guy. So this is true in the mental uh, arena as well. And conversation is just a, a great exercise of the mind. It's a little bit like speed chest in boxing. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I get that and it, and it is entertaining, but I, I come to believe that maybe those are not my better angels. That are are entertained in that way because the thing – the other thing that I realized and this was an interview by a person whose name I don't even recall. He was uh, from Canada and he wanted to come on the show and I didn't feel like he was ready to come on the show but um, he wanted to come on the show. He had written in to uh, unbelievable Justin Briley. had read his letter and he wanted to get on – shows and he had some things to say. And so I, uh, I wrote him and I said, look, you can come on to skeptics and seekers. And he came on and he was so unprepared and I beat him senselessly and I kind of enjoyed it at the time. But after listening, I didn't enjoy it. I realized the thing that it's so easy to forget that the person on the other side of the mic is a person. They're not just an athlete and they're not all, you know, as mentally prepared and it's tough. And I think that, I think that we sometimes forget about the other person's humanity. And I have tried so very hard to remember that as I debate Person now, uh, I'm still not very successful because there are still things that trigger me, and there are things that I say that I know triggers the other side. And so, whereas having a shouting match, I don't, I don't actually have a problem with a shouting match. It's when it's when we can no longer think clearly and say productive things that I think the conversation gets bad. So there are some things. Uh, how would you like me to start? There, I, I've got a few things that Christians say that I would, I would really like Christians to stop saying. And so for any Christians in our audiences that are listening, I, I, want, to, I want to tell you how not to talk to us. <laughs> okay, If you want to have a really good conversation, if you want to have a shouting match, then this is, in fact, how to <laughs> talk to us. If you are honest about wanting a good productive exchange of ideas this is how not to talk to us and then i have uh, the same thing for atheists and uh, the poison pills that we tend to insert in conversations which would you like to start with first uh our evils or theirs
1: uh let's start with the atheists. self criticism is usually most productive
0: okay good because if there are any christians listening and i started with the christians they would just go away <laughs> so um so let me go let me let me uh flip down here uh, in my notes. Uh this is pretty pretty easy, pretty straightforward for me because I use these things all the time. Even now. Uh in fact, I sent you a, a write up. My blog post has this. I'm not going to edit my blog post, but I actually say some of the things in the blog post that I identify as poison pills <laughs> that I'm trying to uh, not say. That's how ingrained it is uh, in me, that even even after identifying these things, I, I still find it difficult to not think in these terms. Maybe you can help me out. Um, magic. When we're talking to a Christian about miracles, I, I, uh, some five or six years ago, I just started... Calling it magic, I just started saying magic whenever they would say miracles. And why I don't because I was trying to think of well, what would a secular word for miracles be? Because we don't believe in miracles. A miracle is something that Christian generally defines as an act of their God, a special act of their God. And some Christians will go further and define that as something that God does that contravenes nature. But in all cases, miracle requires a God. There is a very, very generic term way of using miracle, like the miracle of birth or something like that that doesn't necessarily um, uh, invoke a God. But by and large, when Christians use miracle, they're thinking about a God. Well, I, I don't. So for me, the closest thing is Magic except I know from when I was a Christian how viscerally offensive that is. For the Christian, that is a terribly offensive word because the Christian, I say the Christian, there's so many kinds. Most of the kinds that I know of think about magic as a demonic power or power of the supernatural from other than their God. And so it's a very offensive notion, because they do not believe in gods other than their gods, and they do not uh, take kindly to having their God's power uh, referred to as something that they think of as demonic. So, uh, you know, I've, I've also heard a lot of other atheists uh, use this Word, too, when talking to Christians about you know the ridiculousness of miracles, and I think that that's one of those poison pills. sometimes we insert it by accident sometimes on purpose, but whatever you think of it, it tends to short circuit the Christian brain in a way that many of them just can't help and I do it, and I know better I know I, I know exactly <laughs> what I'm doing <laughs> when I use it, but uh I still don't I don't know. Of another way, I'm trying to retrain myself to just refer to the supernatural that they're talking about as supernatural, but that's not how Christians want to talk about it. What say you?
1: Yeah, I think that there are many trigger words that if certain people in a certain ideology hear those trigger words, they get offended uh, and that makes them incapacitated intellectually. I agree there, and so I think the trick is to find a way to express the term in a more intellectual argument style that they don't take as offensive. So the magic thing I think is a very good analogy. I don't think it's just an insult. I think it is a very valid point to compare miracles to, but in order to express that point without insulting, I what I normally do is I put it into a list. So I'd say, um, for example, historical claims, are not evidence of anything that doesn't have an empirical basis, such as miracles, magic, mythical creatures, the paranormal, supernatural UFOs. And now, because it's in a list, a class of things, um, it's harder to take that as an insult. Mm. Um, but when you compare it to something directly like magic, they can, they take that as a parody or an insult to their God position. Whereas if they, Put it if you which put it it is, a list of just things, to be, just to be it's clear far less offensive
0: <laughs> yeah it it is it is a parody, it is an insult uh when I first started using it, I started using it in that way because i I felt like they were insulting me by continuing to uh to express this thing that they know that I didn't believe in, so i I just wanted to turn the tables in a kind of a nasty way, and that's that's what I started doing and now now it's hard <laughs> for me to break myself of that habit
1: yeah, yeah. so number one, uh, don't use it as an insult. Use it as a valid argument instead. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be the trick. So if if you're actually deliberately insulting them, I think it makes sense that they they may take a little offense to that. But <laughs> if you're trying to use it in an argument sense uh, to not offend them, just put it into a list. So if you put it into a list, it's less offensive. Unless your list is unicorn, sky daddy, leprechaun. Then then Close, they're still offended sure. by that
0: sure i mean look their god's miracles are no more impressive to me than harry potter's magic uh so it is a true i take
1: offense to that harry potter is great uh <laughs> like there's that the magic luck stuff which is awesome the, the the wizarding things in harry potter are amazing much better than the bible
0: uh well, the Bible is not a very good book of magic, honestly. <laughs> so, uh, some of the apocryphal stuff, um, Acts, the Acts of Paul and Thecla, uh, now that's got some magic. Um, but at any rate, yeah, I'm not here to recommend uh, other uh, false religious material. Uh, I appreciate that insight, though. I'm, gonna, I'm going to try to do that uh, because one of the one of the questions that I ask in my write up is, um. Should we avoid comparisons altogether, and I don't think that we should and i don't I don't think that I
1: could do that anyway, but that would make conversation very difficult. I'm not going to compare anything you say to any other thing
0: right right and um so you know maybe with some conversation with the Christian up front, you know we're we're gonna talk about miracles you know i I use this word you know as opposed to miracles or the supernatural you know is that okay with you? Uh, perhaps that would help uh, lessen the, toe, uh, the, the the blow and maybe together we could negotiate you know, some of the words that we use. Um, let me jump into another one that's become really apparent uh, to me in uh, the last couple of years. Christians believe. Uh, so having been a Christian, I often draw on my own experience as a Christian. I can say, you know, here's what Christians believe about blank. Well, I'm I'm often pulling from my own old sermons, or you know, things sermons that I've heard from the denominational background that I come from, Uh, and you know, often it's from you know some videos that I've listened to. Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon is me actually playing a sermon every every week and commenting on it, kind of a Pine Creek style. So I listen to a lot of sermons, even even today, and I talk about what. Christians believe but every time I do that inevitably inevitably someone will say not all Christians believe that i don't believe that okay yeah but Christians believe that uh Jesus uh was born of a virgin oh no they don't that's <laughs> that's a, <laughs> no it, almost no matter what you put in front of Christians believe th- there are some Christians who are going to say no we don't so um Rather than do that, and it, this is not something I do intentionally, but it is something that I still do, and it, and it kind of puts the back up of a lot of people. Christians believe that uh, homosexuals uh, are in sin and should go to hell. Well, according to uh, recent surveys, more Christians believe that homosexuality is okay than not. So you can't you can't say that kind of thing anymore because the landscape is always changing and it's always moving and so I, I just think as atheist communicators uh, that are that are speaking about points of faith we might learn to say many Christians believe and then maybe inquire of our interlocutor to see what they believe on the matter rather than uh, a blanket assumption about what Christians believe that pretty much always gets us into trouble
1: thoughts yeah for sure i think there's uh two things there if you mean when you say christians believe and then you're applying it to all of christianity clearly that's going to be a problem like if you said any group of people all believe or all does this one thing that's where like most racist statements begin all, all of this group does this uh but if you just mean it in the general sense like christians as in there is some class of christians who believe this one thing that's perfectly fine if that's your intent and they're just misunderstanding you um but it's definitely better to clarify that you mean some christians believe or this denomination or some group definitely better um but i think that's it's a problem on both ends where some people will say Christians believe meaning some Christians, but other people will interpret that to mean, well, not all Christians say that. Like clearly a lot of people don't mean it in that sense. They're not literally saying all Christians believe that's not usually the goal of when you say some denomination believes something. So I think that that's, those choice words are just very confusing and can be interpreted in many different ways. And so I just, Usually just ignore the what most people believe and just ask what the person I'm talking to believes and don't really care about anything else for the sake of the argument.
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing that I need to learn how to do more is just to ask the person that I'm talking to. If I'm not talking to someone, though, if I'm doing a solo show and I'm uh, speaking generically, of course, there's no one to ask. And I always get the, I always get the comments, um, no, Christians don't believe that. Real Christians don't believe in that, or not all Christians don't believe in that, or I don't believe in that. And they, they feel insulted. Uh, they really do. So just don't um, – I'm going to jump to the other side for just a moment though and say that Christians are very bad at this too. In fact, I think they're worse. So what Christians hear you saying when, they, when you say Christians believe – Even if you say something that they haven't believed, what they hear you saying is they hear you defining Christianity for them. And that's not what I intend to do. There are so many ideas of Christianity. I can talk about the Christianity that I understand is Christianity. But they hear you trying to define Christianity for them, and they get upset with that. Well, guess what? One of the things that really gets me off, uh, at the beginning of a conversation, you are going to have an argument, if you, if you start with this, is to define what atheism is for me. If, if, you, if you start telling me what I have to believe uh, you know, as an atheist, we're not going to recover from that. <laughs> so um, I hate having my beliefs defined by a label as much as they hate having their beliefs defined by a label. So just a, just a thought there. Do you, have you gotten used to it? Have you gotten used to Christians telling you uh, what you should and shouldn't believe
1: as an atheist? Uh, It doesn't normally bother me. So I I like to take the devil's advocate position. So if they say something like atheism is a religion, I'm going to be like, "Mm, okay, we'll take that. It's better than yours. We'll we'll start listing the reasons of how. (laughs) atheism as a religion the religion of atheism mm-hmm. our doctrines are more moral our people are more moral our congregations are more moral we help more people we do more good we we don't have any pedo priests um and so i'll just i'll take whatever they say and just adopt it and then show that even if we take what they say at face value it's still better than theirs well i that's a good
0: approach you may be a better human being than i am um uh, but it's The type of thing that bugs me is when they tell me that I am arguing a positive position that there is no God and that I am not an atheist if that's not what I'm arguing. And what I might be arguing, in fact, what I'm almost always arguing is I am not convinced by the God claims you are making and those are not the same thing. And that's when they will tell me, "Well, know, no, if you're an atheist, then you are arguing that there is no God positively. And then I will tell them to fuck themselves.
1: Well, that's, that's another good example. So I also used to take the lack of belief position. Atheism is just, I'm not convinced by your evidence. You don't have any good evidence. And when they started to say, well, no, 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 what atheism is rejecting that God exists. like, all right, fine. Your God doesn't exist. I'll take the, I'll take the strong position and I'll just say it's rational to believe that anything that doesn't have evidence is a figment of human imagination. So I'm rational in thinking your God doesn't exist. Just like I'm rational believing Santa Claus doesn't exist. And so I'll, I'll take the strong position. I'll just grab it. Like, all right, fine. Cool. If you want me to take that position, I'll take it and I'll still win. You are a fun guy. Um, Look,
0: I, I take the strong position sometimes, but I take it when I want to take it. I don't – i I'll never take it when a Christian tries to force me to take it <laughs> because they can't define what I am arguing. <laughs> That's the thing. I am telling you what I am arguing, <laughs> and you are going to say when you're not an atheist, well, screw you. You're not a Christian. <laughs> I've, I can make an easier case that you're not a Christian than you can that I'm not an atheist. But – um I, and then I proceed to do so. Um imaginary friend. This is easy. Uh whenever we say um kind of pejorative things about their, you know, imaginary friend, shithole god, um, they take offense to that. You know, I own red letters. Red letters a closer look at the worst uh practical and moral teachings in history. That's my uh latest book, and that's the project of my Red letters, Patreon, dot Red letters. No, that's not. Yeah. Patreon.com slash red letters. Patreon.com slash this is not a plug. <laughs> Patreon.com slash red letters. Be sure to, to go there. Grab a free copy of the ebook. You're going to love it. Join the community.
1: Don't give me money. Week. Don't give him money. Give me give me money. not out a plug.
0: Give him money too. I mean, he's <laughs> he's a Look at that jaw. You should give him money. Um
1: anyway, where was? I? The chair needs some more cushion. You know, add <laughs> yeah, to the chair fund.
0: <laughs> um that chair is cushioned with 100 dollar bills, people. Um the um so often own red letters, I will say something like Jesus was a fucking dick after making a point to prove it. Um, But... I I go with
1: Jesus-drawn babies, so I don't know which one's worse.
0: (laughs) But, you know, when you say... When we say things uh, in a conversation that's not meant to be that incendiary and we, uh, you know, start calling their God their imaginary friend, uh, then we are being demeaning, not just their God, we're being demeaning to them. And that is a thing that... um, you, know, you you may not realize when you're doing it but that that is something that they take personally because you're 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 calling them a child or infantile or something like that and you're also uh talking about their best friend imaginary or not it's it's kind of like saying oh and by the way your wife is fat and ugly they, I mean they, there's a piece of the brain that just explodes you can't uh they can't recover from that and They're not going to recover from that. And even if they don't start yelling and screaming, a piece of their brain just got broken. And we might um, take a higher road and find some other way to express the fact uh, that we don't believe that their goddamn imaginary friend exists.
1: Or you could go the uh, British aristocracy route and just say it in such a subtle way that they don't know how to respond because it doesn't sound like an insult. So I, I like that route better. So I like how is how is that different from an imaginary friend? Like so you do you don't just you don't just say imaginary friends. Ask them in a in a very intellectual way. How how is that different from an imaginary friend? Yeah. So I wrote
0: an article uh, about that once uh, a couple of years ago on skeptics and seekers, part of a, a blog post, and uh, the question was. Um how does one love a person that is invisible and they, they can't talk to them or, or they can't hear them talk back to them. You can't see them. And yet you have this l- love relationship with them. Um, how does, how does that happen? Because when I was a child, I loved a teddy bear or two, but they were there. <laughs> You know, at the very least, you know, they didn't, I knew that the teddy bear did not love me, but I loved them And my four-year-old brain. um, I can understand that. But God is invisible. And so I don't understand how you construct a relationship with an invisible person that can't, uh, you know, audibly speak to you.
1: Well, so like the recent studies show that when people hear from God, really they're just introspecting and hearing from themselves in the brain. And so I wouldn't say that that's quite accurate. I say that they do actually hear from God, but really what they're hearing is a reflection of their own intuitions. And so if there's a person very, very similar to you in a lot of ways, but you imagine them to be like, you know, perfect, have perfect knowledge and perfect morality, it seems understandable that you could, most people could fall in love with that person. Someone very, very similar, but to the extreme of being the perfect version of you. Uh, I can understand why Christians have the idea that they love their God. Okay. Um,
0: All right. Atheists, you've been told. Christians, you're about to be told. Uh, Very quickly, we'll start with one that uh, you might uh, want to disagree with right up front. Uh, Stop Uh, stop making your arguments by using the Bible as an authority. Uh, You know, the Bible said, you know, according to Scripture, let me stop you right there, Christian. I don't give a damn. there's, There's nothing that you can say that follows those words that would be persuasive or authoritative to me in any way, shape, form, or fashion.
1: So I would caution... Doing that because I think the real value of when Christians say that is they're showing what's important to them. And that is very valuable in a debate. You want to know what they care about, what they find significant. So, Pine Creek, Pine Creek, Doug, uh, great guy, pain in the butt, um, especially for Christians. He asks questions, leading questions like, those three epistemology questions. What is it that convinced you? And if we found that was a problem, would that lower your confidence? And so when they bring up these facts, like what they find in the Bible, that's a big red flag of here's something they really care about. So if you really want to like attack their position, that's the thing you should attack. So if they think this is a meaningful position, then that's a very good way to start talking about, okay, who are the authors of of the gospels or what what language were they written in? Could any of the gospels actually write write Greek? Um, And so I wouldn't want them to stop doing that. I want them to be able to bring up the things that are important to them. And especially when they're so easy to show how silly they are, uh, that's a great way to make them introspect about the value of their position. So if they think the Bible says and say, okay, well, why, why should we trust the Bible? It's a a great follow-up question. And that's when they start getting into the the nitty gritty of the writings and the manuscripts. And that's when they don't know anything about that. And we can demonstrate that we do know a lot about that. So I think it's valuable to listen to what they think is important, even though it's a terrible argument. Uh, It's never going to convince anybody. Because it's it's still virtue signaling the things that are important to them. Well, here's the thing. I can
0: engage with Christians on at the level of the Bible. Um I I know my Bible better than ninety-eight percent of the Christians I'm ever gonna talk to. So if you really want to get into a Bible fight with me, um I will destroy you. Uh I will just I'll just put it that way. I don't even need to study. Uh I, I know what it says. <laughs> and um and i know uh you know much of much of the background there um so i can do that and i will do that sometimes especially on uh a project like red letters where we're studying the teachings of jesus so you know i'm all i'm all up in the bible's face um of course uh the bible it makes sense to talk about the bible in those cases or if the conversation is about whether the Bible uh portrays a moral God or an immoral god well it makes sense to appeal to the Bible uh for things like that, but when you are when you are having a, a discussion about something like say abortion, and you point to the Bible to tell me what uh David thought about you know his sinfulness in his mother's womb. You can stop talking. Just stop.
1: Just no, stop. <laughs> no. Let them keep talking because then you get to say, "Well, in the Bible, God aborted babies in this passage right here." So I don't know. It seems like the Bible actually supports abortion. Sure, and uh, and
0: I and I have done that. I just think it's I think it's the wrong strategy. I, just, I because I think it gives the Bible. If I win with the Bible, then I've still made the Bible. Of some importance. Um, whenever I whenever I engage that way. And what I really want Christians to understand is that whether I win the argument or whether you think you win the argument, it's irrelevant. Because the, the problem is we're talking about a book that has no authority on these matters. I don't I don't accept your authority. Maybe you can come out with a Bible verse that I didn't know was there or that I had forgotten was there and you can really hit me, but it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. And that's, I think, that's the thing that I'm trying to get at. see, for the Christian, they engage in that fight because they think that the weapon they're using does matter. And, you know, I might can successfully show that it doesn't matter, maybe to some piece of portion of the audience, I can successfully show that it doesn't matter. But for the Christians listening, they always think it matters. And what I the thing I really want them to know is, look, that doesn't matter your sword is made of paper, not iron.
1: But I think that the best way to demonstrate that is like uh, with a compass. If you have a compass and you think the compass is an accurate compass, and then I come along and say, oh, you think that's an accurate compass and that's, point- that's north? Well, let me shake it a little bit and see if it points in a different direction. Oh, it's pointing in a different direction. Let me shake it a little bit more and so see it points in the third direction. Oh, it's pointing in a third direction. And if you continue to shake it and show it can point in essentially any direction you want, uh, the reliability of the compass becomes into question. And so I think that in order to get them to realize that the Bible isn't the best way to address an argument, the best way to do that is to use a Bible to support something that contradicts their position. And once you do that, then they're going to start uh, cherry picking and say, well, that's that part, take it in context. And then you can just start parroting their words back to them whenever they bring them. No, you got to take that part in context. I think you got the context wrong. And if you have greater knowledge of the Bible and the origins of the Bible, it's going to make them very uncomfortable to start talking about the Bible again because they know they're not, they don't have the knowledge to back it up. Yeah, with
0: your compass analogy, I I I can just tell you, they will just say, yeah, look at how God keeps moving true north, because God can do that. <laughs> so my compass is clearly showing us the truth, and while God is moving true north, yours is just pointing in one direction, so obviously yours is wrong. I've been a Christian, man. <laughs> I know. I understand. Hey,
1: um, Tom, are you a sinner? Uh, nope. I've never sinned. Never once. You, really? Yep. Huh. Huh.
0: Well, you see, I feel the same way, but what do you feel when you're called a sinner? Um, so for me, an insult is has nothing to do with the word itself or with what the word might actually mean. To me, an insult is what the person means who's using it. That's um, that's really the only thing in communication that, that matters to me. What did you mean when you said that? And I understand what the Christian means when they say sin and sinner. And I find that insulting.
1: For me, like, I was diagnosed with high-functioning autism. So insults and compliments have, like, no effect on me. They're about as emotionally effective as a lawn chair uh so i don't know how i would respond i don't i don't feel the same way that most people do when people are insulting me for me it's just it i feel nothing Mm. Um, i'm essentially just responding to the words as if i would respond to any other words so i don't know how to relate to um being offended to insults as much as other people do that's something that's lost on me emotionally well, let me be your emotional compass. Uh,
0: it's offensive, so uh, offensive may be uh, something that you know you don't feel deeply either, but you can practice it you can you can still feed back that that is offensive, even if you don't feel some deep gut-wrenching offense. Most of us, it's not something that we can control uh, when you are insulted and genuinely offended. You know, it twists your stomach. It's it's a there's a physical visceral reaction to offense, and so this is this is partly why words are so important uh, that we use. I, I I recognize the words that I use that create visceral responses in Christians that they cannot necessarily control, and this is one of these words that Christians use. That creates a visceral response in me, um, and you know I don't fly off the handle every time I hear it, but I know what I know what they mean. I know where it comes from because for for the Christian, if you die in your sins, you are going to hell. That that's what sin is. It is the ultimate offense. It's not just that you told a, a little white lie uh, over there with without any. Consequences. There are eternal consequences to everything. And what you have done is greatly offended the God of the universe to such a degree that the only response to that is your destruction in hell, like Hitler. You are ultimately, eternally, no better than Hitler or a pedophile priest. If you are a sinner. That is what they mean. And so that is what I'm responding to. Uh, I understand that Christians have a hard time not calling people sinners. Because for them, they believe that their they believe that their God has commissioned them to go around telling people that they are in sin and to convince and convict them of that sin so that they might change. They believe that they are following the marching orders of their God. So they
1: can't stop doing it. I think you mentioned in your article, like uh, that if they need this threat of violence, to have relevance. And if there's no threat of violence, then they are neutered essentially as a religion. Is that something from your article? I believe it, it, it is.
0: It's for the next one. And we can just jump right in there too, which is hell uh, sin and hell kind of go together. Please do not tell me that I am going to hell. What do you know what hell is if, in your mind? Have you, have you really thought about that? Have you really taken on board the image of hell that you yourself have and to and to say to another being like yourself that this is the fate you are worthy of as, as you stand right now. It, if, if we all actually thought about that, I think it would kill a lot of conversation. Uh, I, don't, I just don't want to talk to someone who envisions me burning in some type of torment or whatever, you know, there are different hell views. I recognize that, but being in some kind of torment for eternity and with someone like Dale, um, I don't say this disrespectfully. Uh, I've asked him about this uh, a number of times. He looks forward to it. He, now he doesn't believe in hell as a burning torment, but he, he does believe in hell as a torment. <laughs> And he looks forward to sinners getting what they deserve. He will say this. He, he will say this publicly. He looks forward to you getting your just desserts. This is, this is how they see us when they talk to us. And you either need to, Christians, need to change the way you see us, or you need to change the way you talk to us, because if, if that's how you come across that you that you think that I deserve this fate and you look forward to God's justice uh being delivered upon all such people.
1: We have nothing to talk about. Yeah, so again, because of my autism, I feel very differently. I don't I don't feel offended when someone says you deserve to burn in hell or you deserve like the gas chamber or something. Like I couldn't care less how they how they feel about me. For me, I kind of see it as more like an anthropologist. I'm here to Listen to their viewpoints and what they believe and i'm and I'm interested in engaging and seeing how I can uh, make arguments and positions in response to those feelings, but I don't actually personally care what they think of me at all, but I think but that that it may also have to do with my autism because it's like uh I'm not really affected by what other people think in any respect, and so it's probably easier for me to not. Care if they insult me or care if they think i 'm an evil sinner, worse than a mass murder or whatever, um, and so I, I definitely understand that if the goal is productive conversation, them saying those things to a regular human being who 's like an atheist would be counterproductive in the same way that uh, an atheist calling them a magical sky daddy would be counterproductive to a productive conversation. But from my perspective, it's like I I don't I wouldn't care. It makes no difference to me. All right. Well, here's
0: something that I know you do care about because I listened to one of your uh debates uh recently in uh in preparation for this conversation. Um it was when you were teamed up with Matt Del Hunty, and on the other side of you was Randall Rouser and the other guy. Samuel Nassan. There you go. <laughs> The other guy. I'm oh, sorry, me. I don't. I'm kidding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know. His his name recognition is all Christians
1: look alike. it's, yeah. not, as, it's
0: not as high as
1: Randor Azar. Okay,
0: <laughs> so um, and you know, I'm sure maybe some people thought that way about you. There was Matt Dillon, and, and the other guy, but I I happen to know know you know know you both, and uh, I I think that you were both. Um, equally capable whereas i think that randall rouser and samuel were not equally capable and i i thought that was a little bit of a a very strange pairing did you did, did you think that at all i mean maybe as someone who participated in the debate maybe it's bad form if you were to say so <laughs> uh, well,
1: I'm, so i like both of those guys but they have very different approaches and their approaches are not complementary uh, in in a, in a single debate topic. So right. I think that if given the opportunity to present their own position or someone with someone who is agreed with their position, they do much better. But pairing people who have such drastically different views uh makes them look ridiculous when they're paired together.
0: Yeah, and Randall is such a dominant personality on the mic anyway. Um. I'm sorry. Samuel just kind of looked like the other guy. Um, that said, uh, I've talked to Randall uh, several times. I, I consider him a friend. Um, uh, I would love to have a conversation with Samuel. Uh, he, he has some interesting ideas that I would like to help him explore. <laughs> <So> <laughs> because I really, I really feel like in a debate setting, like the one that you guys were in, um, it's, it's hard to explore one person's idea for very long and very deeply. Um, that said in
1: that, yeah, just as a personal rant, two V twos are completely like pointless. They're, they're just, they're nothing but entertainment value to get the audience of each of the different person to watch. You get a higher viewership. There's no productive value having a two V two conversation. None whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's good for the channel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I my first appearance on unbelievable was two v two, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I I completely concur, but one of the things that it's hard to say got your back up, um, was when Randall accused you of scientism. That was one of the things you definitely wanted to come back on, um, scientism. Uh, how how do you feel when people accuse you? of scientism um you you maybe feel
1: isn't the right word but um you definitely feel something (laughs) well so i don't like i don't mind being that label so like i'm totally fine with that label i think Mm -hmm. it's a softball and easy point to address the things i hate are repeating myself and being talked over those two things and i think the thing that pissed me off when randall said that was he'd he'd repeated that like six or seven times during the debates and I addressed it every single time. And that's, I think the thing that really bothered me. Uh, But scientism, I'm totally fine with that label. I can do both routes and say, well, no, scientism is the position that uh, knowledge is only attainable through scientific means, which nobody accepts. We we accept you can think about things and come to knowledge one plus one equals two. You don't need science for that. Um, Or I can take the position that empirical knowledge is the most reasonable basis. And so, using science as the groundwork of the primary ways of knowledge is completely justifiable. So you can say, yeah, scientism is the most reasonable position. So either way, I'm happy with the label of scientism because it's a softball argument, easy to address. But the thing that pisses me off is repeating myself and getting talked over. Those are the two things I I cannot stand. Those very, those bother me greatly. I I almost talked over you there. So um, don't hit me. Um, (laughs) 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 Bands. So, um,
0: let me let me see if I can um, help you feel the insult that's really being hurled at you when someone uh, accuses you of scientism because they're not just making an observation about what they think, uh, that the fact that you believe that science is the, the, the best option for uh, knowing things about the universe. What they're really saying is you are dishonestly closed off to other possibilities and inquiries of knowledge about reality. That's what they're actually saying. Um, so when they, when they accuse you of scientism, they're accusing you of a dishonest, um, a dishonest exploration of truth because you're only looking at this one thing over here and you refuse to look at all of the other things. Uh so that's that's the thing that sets me off when I hear that word come up and hurled against me and against other Christians. That's what they're really trying to do is paint you into that box and you're other, the you,
1: other Christians?
0: Uh I'm sorry, other atheists. You're you're the dishonest inter- interlocutor. Um and so what I always try to ask Christians who bring that word up is uh look tell me what other avenues of inquiry if science if science cannot inquire into the medical uh, metaphysical what what it, what methods can and then then show me how to access those methods so that i can inquire into it so i don't mind actually taking on that label either but for me, it's not a matter of my mind is closed off to other possibilities. It's that Christians refuse to tell me how to access them. And so the only one I know how to access, the only one I know about and that I know how to access is science. And so if we're talking about proof for your God that science is the only thing I've got, and if you're saying, well, science can't do it, then tell me how, how I can. And if you can't tell me, then we're back to science.
1: Yeah, I totally understand the sentiment. But again, I'm like, I'm glad when Christians say that because it's something that many Christians believe. And so I'm glad to be given the opportunity to address it and present a more rational counterposition. So when Christians have that bias that they think that uh, secular people are on irrationally excluding certain kinds of evidence, like empiricism, scientism usually means that um, you're irrationally excluding the philosophy, the soft science stuff that indicates God. Apparently Um, I tend to go back and say, I am happy to accept anything as evidence that can differentiate Your imagination from reality i don't care what it is science anything that can do that so if you can provide anything that can do that i will happily accept that as evidence of a god please feel free to any at any time go ahead and so because i can counter that with a very easy to understand position that's very rational to accept um it sin tends to make them look more irrational but it I really appreciate them bringing it up because it is a commonly held belief in Christianity. And I think that's something I I like in a debate when they bring up something that's very common in the opposing position that I get to address and provide an alternative that's more rational, that demonstrates the intellectual acuity of my side when compared to theirs.
0: Okay. I thought you did uh, that well, by the way, in that debate. Thank you, Uh, and uh, I I think a a, a phrase that atheists should learn and say more often uh, is to the effect: "Well, how do you distinguish the, uh, you know, this this thing that you're claiming that is metaphysical from imagination? Um, You're not saying that you're just imagining it. What you're asking for is a way to help me distinguish it." Because I don't I don't know how you distinguish it and I don't know how I would distinguish it. Uh so that's a that's a good thing and I, I appreciate that. You did you did well in at least in that section of the thing.
1: <laughs> Wait <didn't>. a minute. <laughs> well, one section didn't I do well in? Come on, all right. This we're, we're going like boxing match time. Let's do this. I thought I thought
0: it was great. I think the section that you didn't do well in were the sections you weren't talking in. I think that you deferred to Matt too much. You sh- you should have talked <sighs> over Matt.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's another bad. I hate talking. So ironically, as you mentioned before, we are professional talkers. It's our job to talk. And ironically, I hate talking.
0: Yeah, we, uh, that's, I'm going to have to clear my schedule and we're going to have to do some couch time on that one. Um, <laughs> so um, last one, last one, um, appeals to authority. Uh, okay, Christians, uh, please again, stop it. So your Bible is a uh, an appeal to authority. The Bible says that's, that's one. Uh, but there are other kinds of appeals to authority, such as you know, Doctor William Lane Craig said, or Doctor B said, or Doctor whatever, who, whatever theologian uh, you want to be—he's not really a theologian. Um, but when you appeal to some theologian, here's the thing: theology is a fake discipline. I'm sorry, a doctorate in theology is more useless than a degree in music. And, and you're talking to someone who went to college to get a degree in music. <laughs> no, I didn't get that degree, but um, that's, what I was, that's what I was there for, music theory and composition, uh, songwriter uh, and a musician. A degree in music is stupid. Uh, I'll just leave that to you. I'll just think about it for a little while. A, a degree in theology is way stupider it's like a degree in unicorns. If 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 I already don't believe in your God, you can't cite an expert in Godology. For me, why are you doing that? Why why do we, why do I even need to address what one of your professional Godologists had to say? <laughs> I don't. I don't care. So I mean, um, I don't even like to address. Uh, these types of appeals. Now I do. I do it for the entertainment value. Um, it's there. I know who these guys are. I I read them because I'm that kind of geek. Uh, you know, I read the books, the articles, and so forth. So I'm I'm aware of it. I just find it ridiculous. Uh, why are we appealing to that? And then by the same token, it's the Christians who want to try to use some prominent atheist against us when we're talking. Well, first of all, I'm not debating with that atheist if I was, then, you know, maybe I'd bring it up. I'm debating with you. I don't have any prophets. I don't have any bishops. Um, I don't have any creeds. I'm free of that. You can't use authority against me unless what we're talking about is some some secular point, uh, you know, like the number of people who have uh psychological difficulty after an abortion you know that's that's something that you can appeal to an authority for but any authority on godology or atheology i i don't even i don't understand why are you doing that
1: yeah so uh one of the, the one i hate the most is when i bring up the consensus of experts and they say that's an appeal to authority fallacy and that's it's not so an appeal to authority fallacy is only when you appeal to a false authority of some kind. And so we're appealing to the actual consensus of experts, not an appeal to authority. But so I, I say most geologists say that the earth is whatever, 4.5 billion years old. And then they bring up something like most theologians believe in a God. Uh, most theologians think that miracles are things in history. And that's the part where I'm I'm exactly with you, where it's like, well, that's kind of, the 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 made up Godfield. Of course, they believe those things. That's not actually evidence. They're not actually experts in reality. There, you they can They're not genuine experts in what actually happened in reality. They're experts in Bible studies, um, which is, as you said, kind of as useful as an expert in Harry Potter studies. Um, not not the most informative thing when you're talking about reality. So yes, I I can understand the the silliness that ensues when people start to quote. Uh, the authorities of theology when, because it seems they they confuse the fact that someone's an expert in uh, the Bible and they think that that means they're also an expert in reality, which are two very different things.
0: Right. So, okay, let's get out of here. Let's talk about uh, real quick on our way out the door, um, things that we can both, both sides do to make conversation better. I'm I'm gonna start with one uh that I don't have on the list. Uh and pay me more. Uh, uh, that sure. Um look, patreon.com slash red letters. <laughs> um it's it's I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Um because you know sometimes the conversation as a blood sport goes too far. And you know we can reel ourselves back in and, you know, it's okay to be sorry that we offended someone. Or maybe we did it on purpose, but we can still apologize. <laughs> you know, um, that does that shouldn't cost us anything. And that doesn't happen very uh, frequently. So in that same uh, debate uh, that I mentioned, I will say this about Randall Rouser. Randall Rouser apologized for... Uh, ascribing some idea to you that, that you didn't have. I felt that was good. Uh, a simple apology can go a long ways. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, or I'm sorry. I misheard you Th- that, that, can do so much in easing conversational tensions.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think that politeness and genuine honesty and, trying to clarify that you're not insulting someone and it wasn't intended as an insult, but you're trying to make an argument or want to hear their position on something that you think is a relevant example is definitely a way to like diffuse tensions in that case. uh, Unless you're being like, well, I'm sorry that I called him a sky daddy, but you know, (laughs) Uh, speaking of knowing, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Okay. Can we just, can we just do that on Seth Andrews' show? He used to have this introduction. And I, there was one person; he had this montage of uh, people saying different things. And one of the things that someone said, I can't, I don't know who the voice was. It was, uh, but it was, uh, "I am a a towering mountain of ignorance." <laughs> something, something bad out of fact. It's very funny, but also uh, very useful to just be free for a moment and say, yeah, I don't know that one Um, in debates. Neither side says a lot of, I don't know in places where I think, and I don't know would be better than making up some shit and plowing ahead. So that's when you know that the debate has, has is, is not useful. And if it is, if people are hearing you say things that you are making up on the spot uh, and you know that you don't know what you're talking about, then it's worse than useful. It's harmful, and so you know every now and then maybe you just stop motoring along and say, hey, "You know what? I I don't know. <laughs> I got to think about that. I don't know. Uh, have you have you ever said I don't know? Because I can tell you, I very seldom say I don't know when uh, when I'm in a heated debate.
1: Oh uh, yeah, actually. So uh, great example, also including. Uh, another example of what you previously talked about, bringing up authorities. Uh, I was talking to a flat earther, uh, and he brought up the authority of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson says that you can't see the curvature of the earth from, I forget whatever the level of the height of the guy who did the space jump or spacewalk thing. And, and he brought up all these things about what all these authorities said. And I, I just said, I don't care. I don't care what, what anything said. And they asked me like, what, what do you think is the height where you can see the world? The, the height of the curvature. I was like, I don't know. Yes, he asked, well, what, what do you think the curvature there is? I, was like, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think is the distance between these two? He's like, I don't know. There's, for every question he asked, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't care. I don't care about any of these things. They're irrelevant. So I, I'm quite used to saying, I don't know in cases where there's technical details that are I just, I'm just i not interested in. You were you are a towering mountain of ignorance. Good for you. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> right. That is true.
0: Um, get, it, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend. Um, I'm trying to practice, man. Um, here's one of my favorites. Um, this one is one I don't say too often either, but I, I'm a fairly quick thinker and that's probably my superpower and my, and you know, my downfall. You are an even quicker thinker than I am. Uh, I like, uh, listening to you take questions and uh, debate. You're very fast, but not everyone is that quick of a thinker. And sometimes even quick thinkers just need to say, give me a chance to think about that uh, a little bit more. Uh, you know, can we come back to that later? I don't have a good response right now. I know that the people supporting you are not cheering you on to hear you say, ah, yeah, I want to, I want to give a more thoughtful response than the one that's on the tip of my tongue. But that would do such good for conversation uh, I think if both sides did more of that because you know we feel the pressure of having to say something when it's our turn to say something when what we should really say it may not even be that I don't know the answer it may be that's a really complicated question let me let me come back to that when I can formulate a, a good answer
1: Yes, that's very intellectually honest, very wise, very bad for viewership. (laughs) Okay.
0: Um, Empathy. Uh, I'm just going to skip right over that uh, and go to the conclusion, which is really uh, listen. So I mentioned uh, being unbelievable a couple of times and – justin doesn't rub do. it in Ugh. Oh, make me
1: more jealous Ugh. do you, do you, do you want me to it? write I'll a letter
0: to justin i mean i honestly he's stupid i would appreciate that
1: yes can can i bribe you yeah yeah <laughs> um sure the, go, go to his patreon patreon at the red letter patreon slash red letter is that right yeah that's it look uh, here's the bribe um i'll get you an unbelievable
0: and uh, you bring me on uh, your show for a 2v2 yeah. Wait a minute. Great. Never mind.
1: No, <laughs> it's going to be the other guy and Randall Rouser versus you and me. I like the other guy. Just to be just to be clear, I and
0: I thought. By the way, I thought that he practiced uh, so many of these things that I'm talking about as good conversation. But practicing good conversation when you're in a, a group with Randall, Matt, and Mister Jump, you don't stand a chance. So, I am so sorry for him. Uh, And I was, you know, but I I thought that
1: behavior wise, he was outstanding. Uh, He is a phenomenally nice guy, overly, overly nice. Him and Sal Cordova uh, are incredibly nice people, which does not do well in blood sport debates. No,
0: no. Look, uh, I love talking to Randall, I love having him on a show, but Randall is not a nice guy. No, one, no one's going to mistake Randall for a, a nice guy. He's a, he's a bare-knuckles fighter. Uh, we, we get along. All right, so really listen. Here, this, is, this is the key, and this is what I am trying to get at. In that debate, I wasn't sure if you were really listening to the other side or if you just didn't like talking or if you just uh, didn't want to interrupt Matt. <laughs> because, because Matt is not someone I would accuse of really listening. Uh, now I don't mean that as uh, an insult as much. Matt has been doing this for so long. He knows the argument that they're going to make as soon as, as soon as they start talking, he knows where it's going and he just, he gets bored and he, he needs to cut it off. Um, I get that way too. Cause I've, I've been doing this for a long time, not on podcasts, but I've been talking to, uh, people both as, as a Christian and as atheist for a long time. I just, I know where the arguments are going. I get it. So I just want to, you know, okay, come on, get to the end. We know where the end is. Okay, here's the end that you're going to. Let me, let me just rebuff it. This is what, this is, um, I'm guilty of this, okay? Uh, but on that, on the unbelievable show, the key to winning the debate is to get the most talk time. Someone like Ken Ham can win every debate because he's not going to stop talking. He is not going to stop talking. He will get more talk time. It doesn't matter if he says things that you think are stupid. The other guy can never beat him because the other guy can never get a word in edgewise. Um, William Lane Craig, uh, a genuinely smart guy, a genuinely good debater. But he's he's going to control the mic um, and you will never win (laughs) because you won't get the talk time. So it really is whoever talks the most. Win and wins, and that's kind of the tragedy of internet debates. It's it's just that way. And what I am calling for is more listen time. And I and I'm calling myself to that. It's very difficult. Um, I I said in the write up, we tend to listen only to the extent that we need to hear what they say so we can format our response. We give them enough rope to hang themselves with, and then we hang them. And that's not listening. And at the end of the day, that's going to, that's going to end up with a fairly unproductive conversation. It's going to end up with Randall having to apologize for accusing you of something that you didn't say, uh, because there's not enough listening in those types of formats. What say you?
1: Well, so, um, while I typically would agree that most people get an advantage of having more talk time, again, I hate talking. So I'm the exact opposite. I think Several people, Pine Creek, and several others, like actually counted how many minutes I speak relative to the people who I have on. It's like a fifteen eighty-five split. I speak like fifteen percent of the time because I have no interest in speaking. So I like to, I like to let them just go, take all of the time in the world because it means I don't have to spend time speaking. So I love it when they talk, and uh, but I still win the debate because I have a way of taking everything they said and phrasing it or. Framing it in such a way that I have a simpler position that's easier to understand that I can contrast to theirs, which is really the key to, I think, winning debates. It's not about time. Time is like a crutch. The real key to winning debate is having a simpler, easier to understand position than your opponent. And so if if you can express that, even in like five seconds, you're going to win the debate every time. And it doesn't matter how much time they get um, because the key is the ability for the people listening to understand and comprehend what you're saying simply and clearly. And I think that's really the key to winning the debate. But that's even true. If you spend like, I'm sorry,
0: I was, I was just going to say that's true on your show because you control the clock, and that's true in uh, you know a skeptics and seekers format because you know I tend to go until my guests just drop. Uh, I don't, I don't do time limits. <laughs> uh, I want to make sure the issue is thoroughly discussed. But on a show like Unbelievable. You don't control the clock, and the time goes really fast. It's super fast. So the point that you have crafted while listening to the other person, you may never get a chance to make. You, uh, and so uh, J- Justin simply may not come to you again in that section. And then when the uh, next section comes in, we're talking about something else. And, and so Internet debate is a little bit like that uh, because, once again, it's a format where you don't control the clock. There usually is a time limit. Um, and in av to V2V thing, well, like I said, it's kind of a 2V2V2 thing. That's pretty useless anyway. So it, it really does kind of demit, depend on the format. Um, you know, if you and I were debating on a show that, that had a unbelievable style format, I would beat you just because I talk a lot. <laughs> so I, I promise you, talk time really does matter when uh when you don't know whether you're going to get back in or not
1: for sure that makes a lot of sense i can understand that
0: so uh with that said um do uh have do you have um you're you're live streaming this right
1: Yep, and you there do, are people in the chat, and they are you do saying super, lots of mean things as super usual. chatty
0: things, right, the, where people pay you to, and then you read their
1: stuff? Uh, yes, occasionally. I don't think I have any super chats, though. Those are usually for the streamers. I have a debate with Kent Hovind tonight. I'll probably get a lot of super chats on those.
0: Okay, uh, well, clue me in, because I am not on your stream. What are uh, What are some of your listeners saying and please use the profanity with the spelling that they use uh <laughs> don't don't cut anything out skeptics and seekers we don't, we don't cut anything it's, it's, it's all i put just bs one,
1: one all, comment. Right. all right uh, please come back Jack.
0: please come back with uh some clarification on the bs um
1: don't insult music. Vlad is very angry if you for <laughs> insulting music. He's well, on look, I'm a musician. I, I'm not insulting music. I'm insulting uh, music degrees. David is a splendid fellow. Uh, Lord Hoven doesn't deserve the attention. Lord Hoven. <laughs> it's, it's Lord comma Hoven, but I just got rid of the comma, so Lord Hoven doesn't doesn't deserve attention. Mm.
0: Uh, yeah, you see, this is great. Here's I don't see well. If I could read comments while I was talking, that would be uh, that would be so much fun to me. I, I mean, insults, um, compliments—I don't care. I would I would just read it all. I would interact with all of it, but I can't. Uh, I would have to stop what I'm doing, get extremely close to the screen, uh, take a long time to read it, and then then I don't have any audience anymore. So uh, I've always uh, appreciated how seemingly easily you can just take what's flying by on the screen and uh, interact with that.
1: It does help to have a 50 inch screen. I, clearly one of the things I am doing wrong. <laughs> so,
0: any, uh, anything else out there? Anything, uh, anything good from the commenters, anything frivolous, uh, anything insulting? I'll take an insult.
1: Oh, there were plenty of them. I have not. Been checking for them. Uh, T jump ask what ask him what his groundings are. James oh. Earl asks you a question. Yeah,
0: that's fine. Uh, my groundings. Uh, let's see if I can understand uh, what you mean there. Do you mean my moral grounding, uh, my worldview? What do you What do you think he means? I'll try to answer it.
1: Probably worldview because uh, normally I ask I have questions on, and that's usually. What they're asking is about, like, do you have religious beliefs or something? I have no idea. Okay. More grounding, probably. The
0: answer is patreon.com slash red letters. Uh, my worldview is I don't have one. This is this is going to piss whoever wrote this question. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I know this is going to piss you off. This pisses off everyone, <laughs> no matter what side uh, they're on when I say this. I don't have a worldview. And they say, everybody has a worldview. Well, then maybe we're defining worldview wrong because I do not. In fact, I would say that if, if you have a worldview, it is one that is completely unique to you, and it should be one that is complete, uh, uh unique to you. Uh, so if you're asking me, am I a humanist, the answer would be no, I am not. There are a lot of things in humanism that I like. It's probably the closest thing to a formal worldview, to to what I would have if you would call what I have a worldview. But ultimately, we shape and mold our views on the world uh, over a long period of time, and we have very unique perspectives on the world. And so there is no name to whatever worldview I have. That would just be someone else's idea. If you're a Christian... Your worldview is handed down to you from a book or a priest or something like that, and then if you go from Christianity to atheism I hate that word, but uh, just using it colloquially here you go from Christianity to atheism and then you just pick up humanism, you just picked up someone else's worldview again you didn't you you didn't learn the lesson ultimately. That you should have learned, which is to look at the world and study the world and in uh, and, and introspect and figure out who you are and what you think, and when you're done with that, that worldview doesn't have a name. no one else has that worldview that's you that's that's just you and that is my grounding. It is my lifetime of experience and study and uh, triumphs and setbacks. It is all of that rolled up into me. That's my grounding.
1: Uh, Bloviator says you're gish galloping. Uh, <laughs> What's that? Uh, B- uh gish galloping is when you like jump from point to point to point. Not ever point Oh, okay. Or something like that.
0: Did well, I tried to address the point? Did, is it moral grounding?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Blo- I mean, Bl- bloviation alert now he's, he's he's yelling at you for bloviating okay, um, well yeah Fr- mean, frank has a question what do you think what does david think of darth dawkins i've never heard him oh god we need to we need to introduce you to darth dawkins we need to get darth dawkins on your show that would be just <laughs> glorious uh so my most viewed top two videos darth dawkins uh, in case you're interested
0: yeah i well i've heard of him i've never heard him so i ah. Uh, yeah, you know. uh,
1: you have saved several of your brain cells at least. Yeah. Um, yes
0: to the bloviation thing, by the way. I I never say in two words what I could say in twenty.
1: Yes. I appreciate that. It saves me a lot of effort. <laughs> like they're watching you talk and I don't have to do any work. So I get paid more.
0: I, I will but, say one thing about that. One of the reasons I learned to start doing that was for clarity. Um Yes. I could say fewer words, but I find that in conversations, especially about religion or or politics or something that's really highly emotional, um, people don't always hear what you intend. And you might have a well-formed sentence and you said it and you think you thought you said it well and they didn't hear it. And so I find that sometimes it's helpful to say the thing and then say it in a different way and then say it in a different way. and make sure that you have been understood because also I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to your audience and there are probably a thousand people in your audience and they hear things in different ways. So, yeah, I, I use a lot of words to hopefully uh, make sure that, you know, at the very least there's clarity in what I mean.
1: MK Rulik asks T-Jump, how the hell are you? I'm okay. Uh, I got dumped like three or four months ago. So searching for a new girlfriend, but I had a, Cute lady friend, go to the bar with me and wing woman for me, which is pretty cool. So doing okay. How are you doing, David?
0: Uh, I recently got hit by a van and I'm recovering from a broken leg. So, Ouch.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a cool, cool story though. Yeah. Yeah. No, was,
0: <laughs> I mean, put it this way, I'm well enough to be talking to you.
1: And uh, if we had tried to do this a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't have been. So, so why did you attack a van? What did the van do to you? Seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> we uh, We
0: grow and we learn, and now that's a part of my worldview
1: <laughs> David Johnson versus pine creek debate: uh more words are better <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: look uh I love Pine Creek, but there is something that I would love to debate pine creek on w i've I've lost the strain uh, the strain of this sentence I disagree profoundly with Pine Creek on the idea that words don't do harm. I believe that words do harm. And I believe that what Pine Creek, when he says things like that, is not taking into account uh, our our biology and our uh, emotional makeup as humans. And, you know, maybe Pine Creek is somewhere on an autistic scale where words don't affect him. But trust me, words affect people. They hurt. Uh, they can stop the brain f- for a few moments from functioning. They can cause depression uh, if someone ruminates on the, on the wrong words. Um, there is a reason why it is illegal to tell someone who is depressed to kill themselves. You could actually be um, brought up on charges for uh, murder or, you know, one of the various manslaughters. Manslaughter. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, words do absolutely uh, matter. And we should have more, I think, rather than fewer protections in the law when it comes to um, what
1: we say out loud. So I don't like when I hear that the context I think of is like uh, criminal harm, like words don't constitute criminal or physical harm. I don't, I wouldn't, I need to know more about the context of when Pine Creek said that to know what he was meaning. Cause I mean, obviously words can do harm, uh, emotional harm. But normally when people say that it's about like uh, when it constitutes some kind of a criminal defense or criminal criminal harm in some way, in which case you can't like criminalize saying words on YouTube or something. Uh, so there are some contexts where I agree and some contexts where I disagree that words are harm.
0: I think it, I think it could be criminal though, depending on the situation. So for instance, if you told someone, you know, very convincingly that their house was on fire and, uh, they ran out and they got in their car and they, you know, uh, sped home to save their cat, you know, or their sleeping kids or what have you. Um, And they get into an accident uh, and they end up injured. Well, what, what caused that? Uh, It was, it was a type of incitement. Well, guess what? We have laws on the books about incitement to riot. Um,
1: Incitement is words, well, I mean, I don't think Pine Creek meant literally no words could ever be harmful or, or just, I, don't, I don't know specifically which, what thing he said which you are referring to so it I can't was, really comment.
0: But. It was during um, it, was, it was around the time when he had a, a breakup with um, one of the people that he um, uh, used to Partner with I I I can't think of uh, the name now, and um, I'm not going to promise that I'll send you a link because I won't.
1: Because um, I, I won't
0: I won't even remember. past <laughs> this conversation. But uh, if I oh, think I'm think just about too it, lazy.
1: I I, whenever yeah. I send people, I'm going to send people a link. I'm just it's not going to happen just because I'm too lazy. Even yeah. if I remember, I'm like, nope, too I, much work. Because someone someone
0: uh, brought that uh, some of those videos to me, and I once again I like Pine Creek a lot. I think he's very I think he's a very sharp thinker. And uh, oh, was that
1: the oh, that was he? He had on uh, Robert Price talking about oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: something something controversial, yes.
0: Uh, I also I, like Robert Price, and I'm very disappointed in uh, Robert Price. <laughs> so, um, so there you have it. Um, yeah, he he did. It was it was it was pretty shocking to me to hear Pine Creek say some of the things that he said because i not that he was saying anything particularly offensive i just think he was very wrong uh, on a subject that is very sensitive and there are a lot of people right now suffering due to other people's words i and i think it is patently obvious and easily demonstrable that words cause harm and and as such i would go further than most people and say uh, we should have more regulation and not less. We should, have, we should be held more accountable for the words that we say when it affects other people and not less. Uh, because once again, you can say, well, you know, they didn't have to act on it. They were, they were a gone person. They, they could have done their own research or whatever. But I mean, advertise, what is advertising? Advertising is words that are that are used to persuade someone to act in a certain way. It's a heavily regulated industry. Why? Because we know that words cause
1: harm. So, yeah, in that context, I think like, I don't think having the conversation is bad or would cause harm. I think it's important to have those conversations. So, in that context, I probably would lean towards the Pine Creek thing that having those kinds of conversations is probably. Wouldn't cost shouldn't constitute harm. It doesn't.
0: I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with having converse, conversations about incendiary issues that we disagree on. But that's conversation in this context is the arena. It's the safe arena where we can talk about these things. It's uh, kind of like having a racist on a show to debate racism. Now, I wouldn't do it because I actually think that there are some conversations that we have. In fact. As a uh, as a species, move beyond. We're we're done prosecuting racism, or at least we should be. We should we should at some point get to the point where we no longer have to entertain um, the question of whether you know a person of a certain ethnicity is you know in, inferior as a human to another person. So I I refuse to give that conversation air. However, uh someone like Sam Harris, uh he 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 doesn't mind having that conversation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having that conversation. It's my choice not to do it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that in the right arena. I do think there's something wrong with that, however, um in other arenas, which is why we have hate crimes which can uh which can take Things that you said while committing a crime into account to add to
1: the severity of the crime. Yeah, for sure. I definitely would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Frank asked, would David ever be on the Atheist Experience? Does he like that type of format?
0: I love it. I love it. I'm that kind of asshole, man. Um, I want to get on the phone in the worst kind of way with uh, Christian <laughs> giving me their best shot. Bring it bring it
1: <laughs> make me even more jealous because i haven't been on that show either yeah you'll get there before i will i doubt it I, matt doesn't like me so <laughs> no. probably not <sighs> you guys Freak seem, ass,
0: you seem what? pretty chummy on that debate
1: <laughs> yeah that was that was before the the whole oh no controversies things oh so. no okay but so Frank guest does david believe street epistemology is effective no i
0: think it's a joke on both sides uh i had um I Think his name is Anthony Mag- Mag- Bosco? yeah, uh had him on the show. Um it was either him or one of the people who I, I don't remember. I thought it was him. But uh yeah, I had a street epistemology on the show and um you know I told him pretty much as I'm telling you, I think that uh I think that evangelism is bad on both sides. Uh and we should do a lot less of getting into each other's faces, trying to convert them into Versions of ourselves and do more of appreciating our differences and uh, learning how to befriend people who are not like us i don't I, and I'm just as annoyed if an atheist were to come up to me and you know try to spread the word of no God as I would be a Christian trying to spread the word of god uh, so i'm I'm not really a friend of street epistemology.
1: Because hmm. I always thought it more of like a method. Like obviously, I don't think you should be proselytizing in the streets. That, that's I mean, a weird. look
0: at the name—it's street epistemology. I mean, <laughs> you've, you've clearly headcanoned this all the way out of its reality. It is literally in the streets, <laughs> talking to people and challenging their epistemology. Um, no, those people—even if they talk to you they're not out there
1: to talk to you or think about these things are out there to get a gallon of milk and go home. Oh yeah. That part I hunt. I, so I, I, this is one of the things I don't like about Pine Creek is that he invites on lay people and then destroys their position because they know literally nothing about their position. Uh, he doesn't really talk to professors much. He finds it boring. Uh, so I definitely agree that targeting people in the streets who are not really prepared or intellectually in the space to have those kinds of conversations usually not very productive, but I would say that the methodology of street epistemology is actually really effective. If they're in a space, like you're invited on a show or something like this, where they're intellectually prepared to have those kinds of conversations. So
0: if you're asking me
1: about the formal
0: street epistemology methodology, I'm a big fan.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I would would agree. Probably not the best to apply it to random people in the street, but I do like the process of the question asking. Uh, Oh, uh, James Earl wanted you to answer the trolley problem. Oh, that's you know easy. Trolley?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love the trolley problem. <laughs> Bring it on. So, uh, <laughs> just to set it up in mean, the trolley pro- uh, problem is, uh, that you're, you're conducting a train, uh, or controlling a train in some way. And, uh, if you go straight, you'll, uh, what you'll, you'll kill 10 people. And if you veer off, you'll kill, um, you know, uh, one person, but the person happens to be your your mother or your wife or something like that. This is not a problem. This is not a problem. I will plow down the ten people with a smile <laughs> on my face. If the one person on the other track is my wife and you're one of the ten, I will plow you down. I will plow <laughs> down the entire world, and it will just be me and my wife. Choo choo. <laughs> You bet. <laughs> so, uh, would you do anything different?
1: Uh, depends on how much I was being paid. I don't know. Like, which, which depends which family member. Also, um, if there was like specific family members on the one side, I'd like aim for them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think the trolley works that way.
1: So yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a guided heat seeking trolley.
0: Yeah. Look, I don't. Not only is my answer, uh easy for me. I think in a given situation, it'd be easier for just about everyone else too, if they're being honest. See, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't have to pretend that I love everybody. I don't. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's cool. So if I don't know you and there's someone, maybe I don't love them per se, but I know them and I just got to choose you or them, uh, you better make peace with your maker. <laughs> You know, so
1: I mean, that's. I think it's actually happened. I think there are actually legitimate cases where there's a train conductor and his kid was like on the tracks and he had to like choose to divert the train to either kill his kid who was like under the tracks or to save the people's lives. So I think those are actually legitimate cases that have happened in history.
0: Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that every conductor worth their salt would have saved their kid. And and frankly, the conductor that would have killed the kid, I wouldn't hire them. They would be unhireable. Honestly, because like, what kind of person I, are you? You just ran over your kid, and and you saved the lives of a hundred strangers. Screw you.
1: <laughs> Hard disagree. I think I think the sacrificing your kid to save the hundred is like slightly more moral. Maybe a little like sure, Jehovah, whatever you say. Um, <laughs> Vlad the stoner asks, i would like i still like he's still he's still angry at you for the music thing so he says i would like to know or understand why david thinks a music degree is not worth anything
0: sure no problem uh first of all if you are a musician you don't need a degree to be a musician uh you just need talent and if you've got the talent you're going to college to you know get a degree to validate that you have talent I just I think that's the wrong way to go. If you're going to be a studio musician, they don't care about your degree. They're not going to ask. The only thing that you can do with that degree uh, is teach music. So, uh, you know, otherwise, if you are a musician and you have the goods, every place where you use your music, none of them are going to ask to see your degree. They're not going to... It's not even... There's no application to fill out, man. Can you play the... and it was at that very moment that the connection died for good and all. I had some technical issues before the show, and uh, I had some technical issues right there. So there it went. Uh, my response was basically, uh, can you play the axe or not? Uh, you know, that's that's really the thing that matters with music. I would have given a little bit more time, gave a little bit of ground, by saying a music degree might help you if you're going into classical music. There, they do care about your pedigree, but even in classical music, that's not nearly as important as, can you play the violin or not? Can you sing or not? That is why they have auditions, and you can go to auditions with or without a degree. A degree might help. One of my uh, best friends in college, okay, let me face it, uh, I, I had a crush on her. Um, it went nowhere. She did not return the crush. She went out with my best friend. I hate him so much. Anyway, where was I? I ran into her... Um, Several years later, I didn't finish my degree, as I said on the show, and she did finish her degree. Very expensive degree, University of Portland. uh, Great program uh, for classical music. Highly recommend it. I ran into her at a sheet music store. She was working at the sheet music store. This is what her music degree bought her. She was an amazing singer and and hopefully she has found more success since then but that's kind of the fate of a lot of people who go off and get expensive music degrees <laughs> they end up working at sheet music stores or or some such uh you know maybe you get a job at a church uh as a music director guess what you don't really need a degree for that either really in music it's one of those democratizing fields where if you got the talent and and the right luck, right opportunities, you can do it. The degree doesn't really advance you along the way that much. So uh, just uh, just for the record, theology degrees, uh, likewise, can also be useful if you're going to teach theology. So if you want to teach theology and you're in a theology program, don't leave your program. Um you know, go ahead and do the one thing with the degree that you can do teach, or you know you can work in a church if you're if you want to work in a church, some churches uh, take those degrees very seriously and that's that 's a good use. I think the main use of a theology degree quite frankly, is that you can write books and possibly sell them because then you become one of the authorities that Christians can cite. So, uh, T-Jump and I, we had a great conversation, uh, a real good time getting to know each other. This was our first conversation. Hopefully, it'll be the first of many. Uh, we'll have him on the show again, for sure. Uh, perhaps I'll uh, be invited on uh, his show if he has a, a really good guest. Maybe Darth Dawkins. Who knows? Do I want to take it with Darth Dawkins? I really haven't heard him. I, I have no idea what his stick is. Um, so that's uh, that's the show for today. I hope that you enjoyed it. Next week, we'll be back uh, with a typical sermon, but I wanted to take some time to just talk about some of the poison pills each side puts into the conversation that makes the conversation not nearly as good. So I will be working on that, working on it, succeeding little, working much, and uh, will uh, you know? I will continue to do as I advise others to do in the forums. When when things devolve into chaos, go back to your corners. You know, take a day or two, come back again, and try to do better the next time. And um, that's that's what I continue to do. And by the time I hang up my microphone which will probably be never. I'll I'll do this as long as I can talk. But by the time I can't do it anymore, hopefully I will have come close to uh, have perfected it or at least to have perfected myself. Because at the end of the day, we can't fix someone someone else's conversation. But we can make great strides with our own. And I encourage us to all continue to strive did you to do this to do just that bye bye everybody